With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Hey, everybody. What is up? Welcome to the podcast. As always, up to speed here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly in studio, joined once again. Yes, he is back. New house, new car, new studio, brand new wife. It's the one and only Kevin Laramie. Kevin, welcome back. It's been a long time. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks. I'm doing uh, really good. It's, it's a good part of life now. It's back to work, back to reality. <laughs> Back to watching all uh, F1 and uh, a lot of sports that I watched, basically all that I watch. But uh, what a crazy race, this German Grand Prix a race. I will not remember kidding. for a long time. No, I'm not getting this great. <laughs> you know, th- th- there's an idea that I had. Like, okay, it would be easy. Just no Mercedes. You're not allowed to race anymore. Like, okay, bye-bye. And uh, it'll be more fun. But how about just... Before every race, doesn't matter about the weather or if it's sunny or not or, or the qualifying or whatever. Like one race out of two, you don't tell the teams and you just hose down the entire track. Just put like an inch of water everywhere. All right, guys. Now you, you can go. Well, I think actually now that you mentioned, I think there was some talk about that a, a year or two ago that uh, that there was some some idea that they could actually do that, like install sprinklers so they could have wet conditions. I don't know if I like that so much, but the thing is, by the standards of even a wet Grand Prix, the German like Hockenheim last weekend was absolutely insanely unpredictable. I mean, how many times would uh, we have expected to see Lewis Hamilton? crash off of the track not just once but twice that doesn't even happen once an entire season but twice in one race and then his teammate crash off as well in in exactly the same corner i mean at least for lewis um, despite all the antics he had going off the track he was able to 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 continue i mean bottas uh, put it off in that uh, first corner as well and then that was his day over but i think it was just so bizarrely bizarre this race that's about the only way i can describe it is when else would you ever expect to see mercedes celebrating what was it their 200th grand prix in formula one (laughs) crashing both cars out of the race lewis hamilton behind both williams and then his teammate crashing off and every time the cars went off they were serenaded by cheers not just a few cheers here and there but wild cheers coming from the stands i never expected to see people cheering for a mercedes crashing out at the german grand prix it was it was just one of those strange strange weekends but a really enjoyable race and i think that's what what's made it uh, the past several races uh, just that much more enjoyable just going back even to to austria that was uh, i i think even a little bit more encouraging because that day 
the Mercedes cars were beaten just purely on on merit. This one, of course, they looked very strong going into the race, but it was the it was the weather that was the big change in it, and it just really upset things because it was it was not looking good. And I was I was talking with somebody uh, prior to um, I guess it was just before qualifying on Saturday. Because you had Ferrari, <clears throat> excuse me, both Ferrari cars basically fa- fastest in all three practice sessions. And then you had the debacle of qualifying. Poor Sebastian Vettel. Uh, at least in France, he was able to go through qualifying and then was uh, not able to set a time what was in Q3, I think it was, because he had that electrical problem or what was in airline, whatever it was. He was stuck in the pits. That was bad enough. But the fact that he was not able to set a time in the first qualifying session was just absolutely disgusting. (laughs) I thought that Ferrari, I mean, with all the money and resources that they have, were not even able to get him out of the pits again to get get a time. But then what was even more astonishing was that that, that Charles Leclerc was uh, not able to set a time in Q3. And I was just thinking, oh God, here we go again. Another horrible weekend of misery self-inflicted by Ferrari. (laughs) And after qualifying on Saturday, I don't think anybody would have predicted that. Sebastian Vettel's Starting 20th would have ended up, let alone challenging for a podium. But if that race had not been shortened by those three laps just because of the the new procedures they introduced for, for wet races a couple of years ago, would have if won, it had yeah. gone the entire 67 laps instead of 64, I think Vettel might have had a very good chance to pa- catch up to, to Max Verstappen. Oh, Whether yeah. he would have been able to pass Max, knowing oh. the history these oh. two guys have, that's that's a different story. Pass him safely, yeah. With both cars remaining on the track after the maneuver, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a different story. I just yeah. want to go back to when you mentioned that the Mercedes car were serenaded by by applause when they were crashing. There's a famous phrase from the movie The Dark Knight that we mentioned a few times on this show. You either die a hero or live long enough to become a villain. The way Mercedes has been winning all those races hasn't been in a fashion that you make fans either, right? It's always mm-hmm. like you win ball and you always first, you don't make any mistake and you just always continue to be first because no one's as good as you. It's not like you start five and you overtake and you win because you're so much better on the track on the day. It's not just because the car with the drivers just are so much better that they just make better times and then continue and hold their position throughout the race. So because of that, they become the poster child of the sentiment that the races have been boring lately, mm-hmm. literally. So you have Valtteri Bottas, Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton, and Toto Wolf, all, all those figures that have become basically the... Uh, the 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 people where you just ran to the people that they, they become associated because uh, so they're the poster child I think is the best way to say it and I said mm-hmm. it before so yeah so I think there's that and I think that's why fans were cheering like all right well Mercedes is out the race is interesting here we go we're gonna get a new winner maybe the championship will be re- relaunched but no it, it's it's not even tight enough after this race for it to be really a contest, but at least we're still going to have the German Grand Prix. 
Yeah, well, I think you raise a couple of good points there, Kevin. And I think a couple of the reasons that uh, maybe that even though it's Germany, even though it's near Stuttgart, relatively, uh, you know, as the crow flies, it's not that far away. But you have to remember that Sebastian Vettel uh, grew up in, um, I, I think, something like 30, 40 kilometers away from Hockenheim. So it's basically his his home track. And, uh, and, and, and Hockenheim in Germany, close proximity to Holland. Max Verstappen has a huge uh, army of fans, which we saw a couple of weeks ago. Well, I mean, for the past uh, several years. But the, the support for Verstappen uh, each and every year just grows and grows and grows. I mean, look at, um, at the, the party-like atmosphere at uh, the Red Bull ring at uh, at the Austrian Grand Prix about a, a month ago just the it was almost like a soccer like atmosphere in the uh, in the areas of the, uh, the the track where Max's fans were were, uh, were, were congregated and singing so I, I think that there are obviously larger contingents of that and then also like you say the way that they, they've been so dominant I think the people that aren't going to be fans of uh, Mercedes uh, aren't fans of Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas of course they're going to be extra happy when whenever something like that happens and it was bizarre too I mean um, you had uh, that first uh, crash that Lewis Hamilton had coming into turn 15 or 16 the last couple of um, turns when you come through the stadium just before you come back onto the pit straight there were a number of cars that went off there that's where Charles Leclerc had his um, his accident and put him out of the race we saw Nico Hulkenberg do the same thing Lewis Hamilton but he was able to keep going despite the damage to the uh, to the car but the thing with Lewis was he cut back across the track went around the wrong side of that bollard was given the, uh, the, the five second time penalty for that and then in one of the multiple safety car periods, it was this was later uh, canceled, but uh, it was amazing that uh, at one point, uh, you know, there, there's the uh, the other uh, FIA announcement that says that Lewis Hamilton under investigation for driving too slowly behind the safety car. I'm just like, oh my god, you know, as uh, for for a guy that nothing ever seems to go wrong, it just seems to be going from bad to worse. He has the accident, then he goes into the the pits, gets the five second uh, time penalty. Now he's under investigation. Another accident again at uh, at turn one. Uh, you know, several laps later, back at the, uh, the 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 very tail end of the racing order, looking at the wrong side of two Williams, and it, it was just uh, I I don't even really know where to 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 go with this uh, race. I mean, there were just so many things that were just bizarre right from the beginning because when. When I started tuned into the race right at the beginning and I, I saw that the conditions were bad, I just automatically figured, okay, we're going to have another race like we had in uh, Brazil a couple of years ago when uh, when it was raining and Max Verstappen took everybody to school and just um, it, it was amazing how good and how much grip he had in the car that day. But uh, on the, the, the start at the German Grand Prix last weekend, neither... Max Verstappen or his teammates uh, Pierre Gasly, who were uh, second and fourth on the um, on the starting grid on the wet side of the track, because of course they were all uh, going around the outside, cl- closer to the left hand side of the track. So there was obviously a bit uh, more standing water on that side, but they were so slow. When the lights turned green, it was absolutely shocking. And just the way that the, they had no grip, both of those Red Bull cars. And I don't really know what sort of a quantity Pierre Gasly is in the wet, but I was expecting to see a lot more from the Max Verstappen. And it was, I was very surprised 
that uh, that that he struggled like he did. But he wasn't the only one, not oh, just no. at the start, but oh, yeah. throughout uh, the entire race. I mean, it got better for him as the as time went on, of course. It, it becomes it's part of the the reason be behind that is the strong suit of McLeod, uh, the Mercedes has been for for years now. The amount of mechanical uh, mechanical mechanical grip that the car develops with the suspension itself without just the aero aspect to it and without just the tires needing to be at the optimal temperature and cars like red bull which have to fight really hard to be at the same level sometimes it's just that that variable that changes a bit so the temperature of the track and the temperature of the tire in a red in a wet standing start becomes difficult if your car doesn't develop a great amount of mechanical grip right off the start and with the rain comes of course debris oil that comes up from the track of course because it rained the entire day it's washed a bit so that's not too bad and that's why that's why the there's races in the morning as well right the, the supporting races help clear the track on days like this and the uh, warm-up lap helps as well know where we're the water spots are and and how to handle it but the mercedes were just so much better off the top and uh it's unfortunate for them fortunate for for the entertainment of the race we had mark but mm -hmm. it, it is for me i think why the mercedes and ferrari were were a lot better off the start is because of the amount of mechanical grip and the amount of i would say power they generate off the line versus a Honda engine versus maybe the Ferrari in the Merc too. So. Yeah, and it's also interesting too because Christian Horner was saying that uh, that the problem that they had with the bad start and some of the, the poor starts they've had recently have been down to, to engine mapping issues. But I mean, they were really down in the thick of the race order very quickly after the lights turned green and it was a bit of a, a hairy start but it was interesting just uh, talking about grip and, and and things like that you know they all started on the on the full uh, wet tires it wasn't too long before they started switching to to inters but it was interesting i thought at um, various times throughout the race when conditions allowed the guys were actually going in ditching the enters and going to the slicks that um, th that there were some brave souls like actually going on to the harder medium compound tires and i thought that was very interesting because i thought well max verstappen was one of them and he that's when he had that uh, spin when he was lucky that he just went over the curb and came back onto the the, the track and didn't come to any harm as it happened to so many other guys that crashed off. I mean, ask Sergio Perez, ask uh, Charles Leclerc, ask Nico Hulkenberg, ask Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it, uh, it was interesting. I thought, well, there, there were some reports from time to time that uh, some of these guys were having uh, trouble keeping heat and some of the, the, the rain tires and, and things like that. So I thought, well, if they're having trouble with that and you're switching onto slicks, if, if it is just that cold out there and you're going to the harder compound tires – and it's wet out there. How are you? How long is it going to take to to generate heat to get those tires into a proper operating window? And well, I I think it's pretty safe to say that um, most of the guys that um, that went onto those harder compounds, medium tires, were uh, <laughs> probably regretting that decision afterwards. But it was it was just amazing. I think that. Uh, out of off the top of my head, I think the only guy, if I recall correctly, and uh, my memory may 
falter here a little bit just with the amount of guys that had incidents on and off the track. Out of everybody, I think Sebastian Vettel was the only one that kept his nose clean. And and here's a guy over the past year has had so many incidents. I mean, this time last year, we were talking about how Sebastian Vettel put it into the gravel in the stadium section at the German Grand Prix, the exact same race, because it wasn't a full rainy race session like we saw last weekend. It was just a a few rain clouds here and there just to um, make a couple of, uh, uh, you know, spots on the track kind of a a little bit slippery and a little bit uh, treacherous. And uh, at at this time, it it was completely different. He he was the one guy that kept his nose clean. And uh, it, it was, I think for him, it was that race that he needed after it looked like that it was just going from bad to worse again. And I mean, he's been snake bitten. This said uh, this year, I mean, yeah. we all know the troubles that he's had, but it it was just uh, it was, I think, so frustrating. And for him, it must be heartbreaking to, to have the problems uh, like he had. But anyways, we'll talk about that in just a moment. We're just going to uh, stop here quickly for our very first uh, commercial break here on the Overtime Media Network. So please don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. Passion. Drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to Scuderia F1 here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly and Kevin Laramie here with you today, breaking down the German Grand Prix at Hockenheim last weekend. And uh, Kevin, just uh, before the break, we were just uh, talking about uh, Sebastian Vettel. And uh, what do you think? What, what, what's your take? Do you think this was the, the, the race that Sebastian Vettel needed? Maybe a little bit uh, unexpectedly, uh, considering all the pit stops uh, that he had. I mean, he clearly had pace uh, throughout the race, but it looked like every time he was uh, coming back and uh, and climbing his way up through the race order. He had to go in and change tires. And I thought maybe at one point the best he could hope for w- was a podium. I didn't think uh, he could get any higher than, uh, than 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 third. And he could have had a shot at uh, at the lead had the race gone a little bit longer. But anyway, so w- what do you think? Do you think that this helps Sebastian get a bit of his mojo back? It does. The the question is: Is it too late? Is the damage done already? Maybe. Is the lead too big to to recover from? Because if you're Lewis Hamilton, you have to just finish one, one spot behind uh, Vettel until the end of the season and you still win the championship. But it's not about that. It's about showing that you can still drive or win or get close to it when you can. And when you're put in that tough situation like starting last in this Grand Prix for Ferrari in your home Grand Prix for Vettel 
you do feel some amount of pressure. And when you look at the results for Ferrari this year, which have been good to show pace, but the dominance of Mercedes has been still very present. And they've been working really hard, Ferrari. And you see the growth of the, of this car and you see it bridging the gap, but it's still not necessarily there depending it's a track specific performance a lot of times. So when you're seeing the opportunity to show that you can still drive and when you have a situation like a, or a wet race like this, where it's not just about the big advance in the car, the big upgrades that makes you, you faster. It's not just about, Oh yeah, your, your engine is so much, so much more powerful than the, the competition. No, it shows that it's because he knows how to drive. He knows how to drive, especially when it's wet and he knows this track and he used his experience on this track and multiple level of driving over his entire career since he's been a kid all the way to now in conditions. And that's why. And the only other one that I can think of who kept their nose clean in this race market is maybe Lance Stroll. Am I mistaken? Because... He was, to, to, to pull off what he did, finished fourth at the end, he was leading this Grand Prix and took a big gamble, was uh, <laughs> the first one to put on slick too early on in this race. But he uh, he kept his yeah. nose pretty clean too. Yeah, well, we got to give a shout out to, to to Lance. I mean, I've been very critical about him uh, up until, well, probably last week. I mean, it, it's been, what, 13, 14 races in a row that he didn't get at a Q1. Uh, Racing Point uh, gets to um, to the, the, the German Grand Prix with a, a whole new bunch of updates. And, and they looked much better. It, it's a shame because Lance did so well in the race and obviously... They got everything spot on when it came to the timing and, of course, a little bit of luck as well. Uh, but the timing with the pit stops and and making the, the the switches and being a little bit brave in what they were trying to do. And if, uh, if Perez hadn't crashed out early in the race, it makes you wonder uh, what he could have done. But, I mean, let's just uh, recap the, the the top ten at the uh, the German Grand Prix. So it was Max Verstappen, uh, Sebastian Vettel, Danny Kvyat, the Torpedo, getting uh, Scuderia Toro Rosso's second ever podium and his first career podium in Formula One. Lance Stroll fourth, Carlos Sainz and McLaren fifth, Alexander Albon sixth and the second Toro Rosso, Roman Grosjean and uh, Kevin Magnussen seventh and eighth for Haas Ferrari. Lewis Hamilton made it back up as far as ninth and Robert Kubica rounds out the the top 10 getting a point for Williams uh, Mercedes and of course uh, that uh, the, the the last couple of points paying uh, positions there were um that was sorted out after the race after the double <laughs> disqualification for the Alfa Romeo cars but anyways that may or may not uh, be overturned uh, depending who you listen to and Alfa believes that they have good evidence to overturn the 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 um, the uh the uh, disqualification but that is a very bizarre top 10, and I think that just goes to show <laughs> the amount of chaos, but very well played by Toro Rosso, by uh, Racing Points, and uh, obviously there is um, <laughs> a lot of good fortune in there, but I mean also 7th and 8th, Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen managed to bring the, the, the cars home for a double points finish when it looked like it may come to tears again when they did bump into each other yeah. at, uh, what was it, turn two or three earlier in the race, prompting Gunther Steiner to say, I would have loved to seen the, uh, the the raw footage of this. Hopefully, 
the 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 new series and the new season of F1 Drive to Survive on Netflix captures some footage of that because we all know yeah. how uh, outspoken and, and how uh, vocal uh, Gunther Steiner is well, from season one. Funny, I'd love uh, to see the raw reaction to that coming together. It's funny you're talking about this because uh, they're filming now. They're filming season two during this F1 season, and all ten teams are going to be included in the series. And uh, after. Uh, Mercedes were done their bad day at the office on Sunday. Doors were closed and there was a sign saying, filming underway for Drive <laughs> to Survive. So we're going to know a lot more of every Grand Prix next year. That's going to be fascinating to watch. But uh, no, it's true. And you mentioned the, the one point for Robert Kubica. It's the first point for Williams this season. It's the German Grand Prix. We're almost halfway. And it's the first point for Williams. Yeah, that's how far back they are now but hey they got a point baby steps well yeah exactly and it's better than nothing because at the the end of the race uh there were a number of cars that uh, that were not classified uh, pierre gasly valtteri bottas nico nico hulkenberg charles leclerc lando norris danny ricardo and sergio perez and uh, pierre gasly made it to a couple of laps uh, from the end until he had that uh, coming together with uh, with Alex Albon in the uh, in the Toro Rosso, uh, he he did try to pass him down that back uh, straight after the hairpin. Albon very very aggressive in the the, the defensive maneuver that uh, that he made. I thought that was uh, you know pretty dodgy. Like you know, I, I thought that uh, kind of crossed the line a little bit. Uh, obviously, uh, Gasly uh, paid the price for that, but. It, uh, it it was one of those days where a team like uh, uh, Williams must have thought, okay, if the, if there's going to be a single race this year that we maybe score a point or two, this is going to be that race because under normal conditions and considering how slow they are compared to everyone else, uh, th- there's just no hope on a, a regular basis. I mean, who, who would have thought that many cars? I mean, because the cars are so reliable now, we over the course of a, a regular Grand Prix, we see one, maybe two cars retire because of uh, mechanical issues. Maybe you have a couple that have uh, a coming together and somebody has to retire because of a collision. But as as a rule of thumb, I mean, we don't see too many cars retire from Grand Prix uh, nowadays. And uh, then, of course, uh, just that the added bonus, I mean, if, if the stars aligned for, for Sebastian Vettel, on uh, on Sunday, they also got uh, in a nice line for for Williams as well because I mean, also to have the the alphas disqualified in front of you and then have your cars elevated to tenth and eleven, I mean they almost had a double points finished if uh, if things had worked out uh, a little bit more fortunately, but uh, that's that that's just the way that uh, that that it goes. But it uh, it was uh, quite amazing. But there there are so many talking points uh, from this uh, race. I mean, uh, one of them. Of course, is uh, like we say the torpedo, Danny Kvyat, and I'll be honest, Kevin. I thought a couple of years ago, after uh, everything that had happened with Danny Kvyat when when he was uh, promoted from Toro Rosso to Red Bull, and the, the the problems that he had and the multiple collisions he had with Sebastian Vettel, obviously the one at uh, the the Russian Grand Prix a couple of years ago when he crashed into what was it the second time in two races. That he gets demoted back to uh, to Toro Rosso. Max gets promoted, and then a week later he wins his first Grand Prix in Spain. I thought that he was pretty much done at that point. I mean, he hung on for a little bit, but then last year he didn't have a drive in Formula One. He was what the simulator driver for Ferrari, wasn't he? I think it was something like. 
like that. Yes. Anyways, he and, basically. Uh, yes, that's exactly what it was. He was a, yeah. the, the reserve driver for Ferrari last year. Yeah. And then he almost lucks his way back into Toro Rosso because bizarrely, uh, the, the entire Red Bull system didn't have enough uh, of their junior drivers that had enough uh, super license points to actually um, be able to drive like uh, for either. Well, for either team, it didn't really matter. So he's uh, he's he's fortunate in that way. But I think he's done a pretty solid job this year. Uh, he, he's, he's definitely had his moments and uh, he, he's looked a lot better, a lot less erratic than uh, and unpredictable than, than he did in his previous stint in, in Formula one so maybe it's a, a benefit of having a, a year out of the cockpit out of uh, the car on race weekends maybe it's the benefit of being a little bit older maybe it's just the benefit of experience or a combination of all of the above but it's interesting because if you look at the way that uh, that that he's been doing and uh, the the job he's done for Toro Rosso this year, I mean they're never really going to set the 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 world uh, on fire. I mean uh, they're they're always going to be that that junior team to Red Bull. You, you don't really expect that they're going to be too much of a contender for for races or even podiums. Obviously, I mean that that's just a a bridge too far for uh, expectations for that. But certainly under conditions like this, but. The big question is, is like when, when you look now at the, um, the the constructors' championships, 409 points for Mercedes, as you expect, a mile ahead of everyone else. You have a Ferrari second in the constructors' championship with a 261 points, and then you have Red Bull third with 217. So that gap between Ferrari and Red Bull, not really all that huge, but here's the but, and and it's a big one. The majority of those points are coming from Max Verstappen. He's had uh, two wins, and he's had a very good uh, season with a number of podiums so far. Max currently third in the World Championship, 162 points, compared to his teammate Pierre Gasly, 55. To say that that Pierre has uh, struggled in his first year with the with, with the big team is uh, obviously a little bit of an understatement, and it really makes me wonder: Had Danny Ricardo and Red Bull been able to to come to terms this time last year and had uh, Ricardo decided to stick with them rather than making the the uh, what looks to be at this point a bit of a a poor decision to go to Renault kind of makes you wonder what's the the 2019 pairing of Danny Ricardo and uh, and Max Verstappen could have done because obviously with Max 162 points and uh, Gasly over 100 points behind his teammate there's a lot of points that have been left out on the track yeah, I, I think it's true. I think it's. I don't think we can judge that decision quite yet, but I think you're right in saying that it's it's mm-hmm. trending into, into being what's going to be viewed as a bad decision for his career, for mm-hmm. Danny Ricardo. But I think he was sold. Uh, was sold maybe a project, and the project was maybe sold better than it was than it actually is this year so far. So mm-hmm. I think there's that too. But I think you're right. I think he had an opportunity, uh, like any other car in this race, that because of the rain, because of the two crash of the, the best cars in, in, in the field, it was a bit more open, and it was your time to get a good result. And because of, I wouldn't say driver error, but uh, it's, it's it's always difficult. And Daniel Ricciardo, once again, it's not... Like, I wouldn't change a team that actually had wins last year during the season two. Renault didn't have any, right? And we knew whatever 
shape is going to take. We knew in 2019, Red Bull would get one or two wins here and there. If it's not in Monaco, it's it's another race where the car is really suited. So we knew it was going to happen. So if you're Ricardo, like, yeah, it was maybe a very bad decision. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more about that just after this quick break. We'll be back in just a moment here on the Overtime Media Network. Please don't go away. All right, welcome back to the show here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly and Kevin Laramie breaking down the German Grand Prix and all the latest news in Formula One. And Kevin, uh, you make a, a very good point there. It certainly doesn't look like it was the greatest move for, for Danny Ricardo, And they probably did sell him on uh, on a bit of a project and the fact that uh, that, that he is going to have more of the, the spotlight on him at uh, Renault alongside Nico Hulkenberg than, uh, than in the shadow of uh, Max Verstappen. But it, it is interesting if you look at his uh, replacement at Red Bull, uh, Pierre Gasly, and some of the things that have been said in the fallout uh, from from the German Grand Prix, and some of the people within the Red Bull uh, system. So we have uh, Dr. Helmut Marko, the bigwig at Red Bull, and uh, he's basically ruled out repa- replacing uh, Pierre Gasly. And then on the flip side, you have uh, Franz Tost, who's the the team principal at, uh, at Toro Rosso, so uh, Kvyat's uh, immediate boss, and uh, he says that um, Kvyat's definitely ready for a return to Red Bull, but he also believes that uh, Pierre Gasly deserves more time and you know honestly I don't think it would be a, a great move to um, to pull Gasly out of the car I mean yeah. I think this past weekend was uh, was it, it would be harsh to judge him like that on that result because he did have that coming together with uh, with uh, Alex Albon uh, yeah. Albon goes on to finish fifth and he doesn't he doesn't finish the race and who knows maybe if he passes him maybe he finishes fourth maybe he finishes third you know maybe you, you don't win. know who knows yeah cuz Verstappen won Gasly had the same tools right same car who knows but for me it's also stability Yes. And if you know, you already have Verstappen who's winning your races. It's not like you're in the fight for the Constructors' Championship right now, right? You're still so far behind. It's not what it's about. It's about Gasly learning for next year and the year before at this point and the year after at this point. Mm-hmm. You know Verstappen is going to be your number one driver next year and the year after probably. So if you're Red Bull, you have to be patient. You're like, okay, we, we got our... We got our golden egg in Verstappen. Let's surround him better. And if we believe that Gasly could be someone that we enjoy working with, that is workable in the future, and could be a great teammate and maybe challenge him from time to time, but maybe not too much. Maybe that's going to be... Maybe he's going to be his Eddie Irvine. Who knows? I think that's a... You don't need two Schumacher all the time. Sometimes having an Eddie Irvine is just well and good. Yeah, and uh, I think that's the, the the best way that you have to approach it with a young guy like Gasly. He's he, he's not going to put it together immediately. I mean, I think he'd probably be the first person to agree that he should be uh, doing better considering Verstappen's already won a couple of races. He's had a number of podiums. And the thing is... The, Red Bull in the the past uh, several years have always been good for a couple of race wins each and every year, despite the fact that the Renault power has been clearly second best compared to Ferrari and Mercedes. So those are obviously the two best engines to have in Formula One. So it, it was a bold move for them to uh, ditch uh, Renault, which uh, 
which was underpowered but a proven uh, quantity and for the most part a fairly stable engine. There weren't uh, too many uh, incidents where the uh, when they uh, uh, they had engine failures. I mean, occasionally. I mean, it it does happen, of course. Uh, but then uh, jumping to to Honda and then Honda, I thought made uh, as much as it was a bold decision for Red Bull to switch from Renault to to Honda. I thought it was equally bold that Honda said, okay. Uh, in, in 2019, we are, our benchmark is basically to keep Red Bull where they are and and where they've been for the past couple of uh, years with um, with, uh, with with Renault engines, and this comes off of uh, the, the 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 back of several very unimpressive and pretty bad years that they had uh, with uh, McLaren, and we know all the the embarrassing moments of uh, lack of power and the reliability and all the the, the bad things that uh, that they went through. And they, they've actually, they've lived up to it. Honestly, I think if you compared them side by side, the 2018 Red Bull and the 2019 Red Bull, the one with the Honda, the one with the Renault power in them, if anything, they are on that same level. But I, I've said it a couple of times throughout the year. I believe that with the Honda engine, they're a little bit further ahead than they were. I mean, it, it's it's marginal. A bit more course. reliable, which is yeah. surprising. Who yeah. would have thought that the Honda engine would be more reliable than the Renault engine has been over the last six months? Which, which yeah. is interesting, yeah. but you're right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, considering... There, there seemed uh, during the time that they had with McLaren, there were more times uh, that they weren't finishing races than they were. I mean, forget about scoring <laughs> points or forget about uh, podiums and race wins. And and, and I laps. think that just goes to underline the, the the progress that Honda has made in a very short amount of time. And I, I thought it was a bit of a brag from, uh, from, from Max Verstappen, perhaps even a little bit of uh, wishful thinking when he said, a couple of months ago, uh, just before the start of the summer, that he thought that uh, he, he believed that they would be in a position to to win some races come the summer. And I thought at the time, I'm like, "Who, Max? Careful, uh, you know, don't write checks that you can't cash, my friend." But uh, he lived up to it. Obviously, the the Austrian uh, Grand Prix was. Uh, I, I mean, he won that outright. I mean, he was faster than uh, than than any everyone else. This past weekend, of course, maybe you got to put a bit of an asterisk beside that because it was uh, rain. But still, I mean, Honda's not going to complain. I mean, uh, a win is a win is a win, uh, be it in the dry or the wet. I mean, they were still the the, the car that passed uh, the the finish line got the checkered flag in front of everyone else. And I think it's it's a good indicator. I think it's a good thing for Honda as well because I don't believe that they've committed to to Formula One beyond 2020. I mean, there's still obviously a lot up in the air. I mean, we're, we're going to really get down to the, uh, the the crunch time here over the next couple of months as they, they hammer out these uh, regulations and the future of Formula One starting in 2021. But I, I think that uh, it, it just puts more weight to their cause, you know, the, to, to keep the ball in their court, to stay in Formula One now that they're starting to taste uh, some, some some success. Because, I mean, I mean, Honda's obviously invested huge amounts of money in, in this proje- uh, project to come back into Formula One. And uh, I always thought it was a, a bit of a, a tenuous hold that they had to, to stay in Formula One after McLaren broke their contract with them, despite the $100 million pounds fee, whatever it was that the, they needed to to, to to spend to break that contract. And uh, just through some of the wheeling and dealing that uh, they managed to stay in Formula 1 with Toro Rosso, I'm just like, 
I don't know if that's really the kind of uh, deal that they want. And no disrespect to Toro Rosso, but uh, surely Honda is going to want a team that's more of a, you know, a, a bigger player in the grand scheme of things than than, than Toro Rosso. So it, it is good to see that uh, that they are doing so well, and the fact that they really seem to partner well and and work well with Red or work well with uh, Red Bull. Uh, compared to uh, say uh, uh, McLaren, and but on the on the other side of that coin, it is good to see that McLaren is finally slowly but surely starting to have a little bit of uh, success yeah. uh, in, in Formula One. It's not a full blown renaissance, but <laughs> they're not let, winning. Let's, yeah, let's be clear, they're not winning, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> A good performance is in the points, and it could have been even better if Saints have not as visited the uh, the off track. But uh, a lot of drivers did on Sunday, but still, no great performance by both car from McLaren. Yeah, it, it is good to to see, and I, I think that uh, it just uh, goes to show that uh, slowly but surely, that over the past uh, you know year or two, that uh, that Zach Brown, I don't think he gets enough credit for this. And like I said, it's not a full blown. Renaissance. It, it definitely is a, 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 an awakening. It, it is a. It's good to see that they're showing some signs of life. But I, I don't think Zach gets enough credit for some of the pieces and some of the players that uh, that they, that he's put in place. Obviously, a big um, a key guy that left was uh, Eric Boulier. He was, um, you know, obviously um, a, a big player in there. But quietly, he's added a guy like Jill DeFerrin. I mean, everybody in North America that's a race fan knows what he accomplished over here. So, I mean, this is a yeah. guy that knows about racing. He puts him in there. He gets uh, James Key from uh, Toro Rosso. And you get Andreas Seidel to be the new team principal who comes over from the Porsche LMP1 project. So, you know, slowly but surely, you know, you, you're getting good people and putting them in the right place and, and, and allowing them to, to get on with their jobs. And uh, I, I think, obviously, it does uh, reflect when uh, when you look at the uh, the Constructors' uh, Championship that, uh, obviously, of course, it's always the, the big three on top, Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull. But uh, when you look at fourth, you have uh, McLaren-Renault, which is uh, a good indication of things uh, and, and the direction that they're going in. They've got almost double the points so far this year in, in 2019 in the constructors compared to Renault. Uh, McLaren has 70, Renault has 39, so not obviously not quite double, but uh, certainly that is a, a substantial amount. And again, this past weekend, uh, we, we just talked about it uh, a little while ago, Danny Ricardo. He uh, retires from the race with uh, with an engine failure, which I believe was uh, a, a very high mileage engine that he'd uh, been uh, been running. So I guess obviously they decided they wanted to run it one more time uh, to uh, unfortunate uh, consequences and results. And then uh, Nico Hulkenberg uh, retiring uh, from uh, from from the race as a, a result of the accident. But you know, it is it is interesting to see the the different directions that uh, that those teams are going. McLaren that has struggled for so many years, si- finally showing signs of life, and that uh, that that there's uh, obviously some fight in them, and that things are starting to go the right way. Whereas uh, Renault just uh, continues to to sputter along, and despite an increased budget this year, that they they they've really plateaued. Kevin, I mean, over the course of the history of this uh, program. I would have really have expected to see them and all the knowledge, all the experience and, and and everything that Renault has, I would have expected them to do a little bit more, a little bit sooner. And uh, to me, I think they've obviously plateaued over the past couple of years and maybe even regressed a little bit. I totally agree with you, Mark. <laughs> 
it doesn't make for a, a interesting counterpoint, but yeah, I fully, <laughs> fully agree with you. So I'm going to leave it at that because, yeah, yeah there's not I agree. Really much more you could add to it, right? <laughs> no, sometimes you're like, yeah, I just, I, I fully support what you just said. It, it truly is. And it's not that there's necessarily a regression, but it's everybody else around as well gets better. I think there's a bit of that, but there's also luck and also a lot of that. But no, I, I fully agree with what you said. Yeah, it, it is a little bit discouraging, but I mean, they have lost ground to, to some of the other teams around them. I mean, uh, Alfa Romeo looked pretty good this past weekend. And how good was it to see Kimi Raikkonen right up there at the top at, at different points during the weekend? And, uh, you know, the old guy still showing that, uh, that that he has it uh, from, from time to time. But, you know, talking about um, Alfa Romeo, uh, they have uh, appointed, uh, and, and this is no surprise, they have uh, signed a Ferrari F1 uh, veteran to be their, their new uh, aero chief, and that is um, Alessandro Sinelli. Uh, and uh, he's going to be the, the new head of uh, Alfa, sorry, Alfa Romeo's uh, aerodynamics. So he replaces uh, Jan, uh, Jan Manchot, who was uh, recently promoted to the role of technical uh, director, and that's because uh, Simeone Resta has gone back to return to uh, Marinello. So obviously there's uh, there's a lot going on in Ferrari, and obviously there is uh, a, you know a, a big connection uh, between the, the the two. But he's uh, uh, so uh, Sinelli, He's uh, going to, to start there after he had a 17 year. Uh, uh, run at uh, Ferrari. I mean, during the uh, the the dream era of uh, uh, Schumacher, and uh, you know that was the time of Ross Braun, Rory, Rory Burns. So I mean, he's obviously got some very very good uh, experience uh, under his uh, belt in, in Formula One. And uh, you know, Alfa Romeo has been kind of an interesting uh, case uh, for, for me this year. They they've either been good, they've been hot by their standards, or they've been extremely ice cold so it was just uh, unfortunate uh, for them that uh, they uh, you know disqualified after the the, the german grand prix and um, you know that's just uh, one of those uh, things but uh, like i say they uh, um, vasseur frederick vasseur who's the team principal uh, believes that they have uh, enough uh, evidence and grounds to, to overturn uh, the the um, the the uh, disqualifications and so they were both uh, they, they 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 finished 7th and 8th uh, during the race, so Raikkonen seventh, uh, Giovinazzi eighth, and uh, they received uh, thirty second penalties uh, for clutch offenses at the start, so that dropped them down out of the points. Uh, but uh, they they re- uh, feel that they've got some uh, some grounds to overturn that. So, be interesting to to see if they can do that, but also interesting to see that uh, they've been appointing uh, some new people here and there. And like I say, it's interesting to see the Ferrari connection. and you're back all right welcome back to the show yes we are back and uh, Kevin, just I hinted before the, uh, the 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 break here that there is news uh, with uh, with Renault, and uh, obviously we were just uh, talking before the break how they've uh, been struggling this year, and 
the four-time world championship or champion, I should say, the professor Alain Prost has uh, taken a more formal role with uh, Renault Formula One by becoming a non-executive director of the company behind uh, the the team. So he's um, been there as uh, an advisor and uh, and and an ambassador over the the, the past several years. But I think you need a guy like that. I mean, look at the influence that uh, Nicky Lauda had uh, with uh, with oh, Mercedes yeah. over the years. Well, so I always can- I always thought. Ale Pocos was actually running the team anyways. <laughs> so did I, yeah. <laughs> that always was my... He was always there, always dressed yeah. exactly the same as everybody else, always interviewed in the same functions and asked the same mm-hmm. questions as as a team manager was. Of course, Cyril Abitaboul has been uh, more present for the last couple of years, but Ale Prost was present too. And I think when you have this amount of experience on your payroll... You have to put it to work. And I think, uh, of course, he was distracted for many years with the Renault Edams project in Formula E, but it's been done since last year. Renault is now out of Formula E, and the process dedicated almost all his time with either the Formula One aspect or the Renault car production aspect of the company. So now that he might be a bit more involved with the Formula One team, Maybe he can help more, but it's still like when you listen to Cyril Abitaboul, there's still right now finishing the the groundwork for the infrastructure and the employees and the amount. They're still not at the level they want to. They want to be like a Ferrari, like a Mercedes, having like five, six hundred people working for them full time. They're still a couple hundred shy. They're on their way there, but they're still in the expansion phase, I guess. Of, of that team, but Alain Prost, with all his experience in racing, in different roles of racing, from driver to team principal, mm-hmm. could be a, a lot, like a, a big, big help in the next phase where now it's about results soon. Yeah, absolutely. And um, they need, I think, somebody, like you say, that has experience to to help uh, move this team uh, forward and and, and take them to the next level. And and, and Prost, like you say, he has experience, four-time world champion. He's been there as a team principal. I mean, we we all know that uh, that, the Prost Grand Prix was a a thing. I mean, it was a thing quite a while ago. But also he was a driver, I believe, actually, when he came into Formula One way back when – he may have been uh, a driver for the uh, a previous incarnation for the Renault uh, works team, and, and and that's definitely what they they need is somebody that uh, that they can help make this uh, vision uh, a reality, and um, it, it's going to take a, a period of measured growth, and uh, you know it's one thing to just go on a hiring spree and 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 get all these people into the team and say okay well we want to have a workforce in the team that uh, that rivals Mercedes or Ferrari or whoever. But you have to get the right people, and you have to put them in the right place, and you all have to get them working in the right way. So, it is a, a pretty big uh, undertaking. But uh, it will be interesting to watch and see what uh, his influence will be on the um, on the team o- over time. And uh, Kevin, just before we talk quickly about the Hungarian Grand Prix here, uh, as we start to close it down, I just wanted to talk about uh, quickly about a couple of things. Uh, number one was uh, Christian Horner says he's. Uh, quote, totally relaxed about uh, Max Verstappen's uh, future. So Max is under contract until 2020. There are a bunch of uh, 
uh, clauses that he has in his uh, in in his contract uh, that uh, could be he could trigger to 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 break that contract uh, early. But and unless you know that there's going to be a seat open at Mercedes. I think that uh, being at Red Bull is probably a pretty good place to be right now. I, I, I think that where Ferrari has faltered this year, Red Bull has stepped in and uh, I wouldn't say have filled that void. Obviously, they're they're not close to cha- um, challenging Mercedes each and every weekend. But based on what we've seen over Ferrari, especially over the last year, I think that um, that w- where they have struggled, that um, uh, Red Bull has uh, has uh, stepped up to a certain extent, and it will be interesting to see where they go as uh, as they go out further in this uh, partnership uh, with, with Honda Engines. And then the other thing I wanted to, to mention also very quickly, if I can find it here in my notes, and I can't. Oh, yes, it was Sebastian Vettel who uh, said that uh, he thinks it would be uh, stupid, and, and that's his uh, direct uh, quote, if uh, Formula One was to, to ditch a number of their uh, classic uh, tracks in favor of some of the, the, the new places where he says that uh, that he believes that there's uh, less appetite uh, for, for uh, motorsport. And he was uh, speaking directly about um, Hockenheim because they don't have a deal in place uh, for the German Grand Prix there next year. And it was off the calendar just in recent times, and it's uh, it's been a bit up and down, but it's uh, to, to me it, it it's one of those places. And you know, honestly, I'm not a big fan of the new Hockenheim. I did go to Hockenheim a number of years ago, just before I think I was there the year before they cut everything down, all the trees there, and reconfigured the track instead of having the long because it was kind of a kidney shaped track before where they disappear into into the woods. And I was there for a DTM race a number of years ago, and it was great. When there were cars in the stadium section and start finish, but as soon as they all went around turn one, down that long street and disappeared into the forest, it was uh, it was kind of quiet and lonely and boring. So, I guess in, in one regard, it uh, it's uh, it's a good improvement. On the other hand, it isn't, depending on your point of view. But just in uh, general, I do uh, agree with uh, Sebastian Vettel. A, a number of uh, these uh, classic tracks, uh, or or at least uh, venues and countries. Uh, I just can't see Formula One without them. And it seems strange to, to me that there could be no German Grand Prix even for one year or perhaps even longer. But let's uh, remember that prior to last year, we hadn't had a, a French Grand Prix in over a decade. So, yeah. you know, it's it's one thing to say them, but it's another thing to do for the, the race organizers to be able to step up and be able to afford to host it and then also be in a position to make it financially viable that they can make some money off of it. So there, there's many factors at play. What would be an Italian Grand Prix without Monza? Oh yeah, that's it. It it, it can't happen. <laughs> there, there's it, there's a couple of other other tracks, and it's okay for the newer tracks and the track down the road and the future ones. It's okay to to not achieve necessarily a legendary status, and eventually tracks will change, and it's going to be a ebb and flow. We understand that, but there's going to be some sort of like Monaco will always be there. Monaco is yep. because the money's there, so it's not going to be a problem. And it's like the one weekend of the year where the, the city Monaco is the center of the world for, for a little bit. And that's interesting. But there is your races that define the season, too. And those mm-hmm. are the races we're talking about here because they're constant. Those are what you can go back in time and... 
not necessarily compare, but have an idea of the differences between the years. Like, what if in five years' time, all the tracks are new and they're all like four to to ten years old maximum? No one will be like, oh yeah, I remember when Senna was, was driving this Grand Prix and, mm-hmm. and how well he did. No, they're all new tracks. It's like, you cannot forget what this sport is. You can change one or two, but there has to be some sort of, maybe not untouchables, but I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. Because even if you change just one, two maximum every couple of years, eventually there's a risk that I'll be 20 years or younger. So I don't know what, what the perfect solution is, but I do agree with Vettel that there's a couple, well, more than a couple. Let's just say there's like a handful of races in the calendar that I feel are untouchables. Monaco, mm-hmm. Monza, Silverstone even to an extent. But I can see I can see Brands Hatch or another place taking Silverstone spot, maybe so maybe Silverstone doesn't qualify, but uh, Belgium Grand Prix, it's Spa. Yep. Spa is an untouchable, right? Well, it's like some of the other racing series. It's, it seems inconceivable for me that uh, that IndyCar wouldn't go to Indianapolis for the 500 or NASCAR wouldn't go to Daytona, right? It, it's like there's some of these uh, tracks that are just part of the heart and soul of Formula One or IndyCar well, or, yeah. or, or or NASCAR, whatever it is. I mean, some of them, they just kind of go together, right? And I, I think that's why, that's one of the one of the big mistakes of Formula One in the mid-90s going forward. They started to design tracks to fit Formula One cars, and then the races started to be boring. Mm-hmm. There's one thing in North American racing that hasn't changed, it's the tracks. Especially in yep. Oval and NASCAR, it's always the same tracks, and the car adapts to the track. From races to races, the car is totally different because the car they have to adapt to the track. Maybe that's the solution: make the cars adapt to the track, make a a calendar of Formula One with a a mismatch of different types of tracks, where the car almost has to be different to be <laughs> in those tracks. I would love to have an oval. Oh, it's not safe. The car would not was too fast. Yeah, but make a car that would not be as fast. Like that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Adapt to the track. Maybe, maybe. So yeah, I, I do love tracks. Tracks are with the difference of the cars. The tracks are are what makes every race different. Is because every track is literally a sandbox that you play in. And depending of all the variables of all the cars, who starts mm-hmm. who where, and the accidents, and the, the, it's always a different outcome. But that sandbox, that track, it, it's it's what catches your attention too. So no, uh, I do feel that the tracks are are maybe more important than the cars themselves. Not as like the cars need to run on a track and the track needs cars to be useful, but more in the to design a good race, the track doesn't need to be perfect. It's the exact opposite. If it's not perfect, then you get something out of it. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. Like uh, very much like yourself, Kevin. I don't know what the what what the uh, what the compromise is or what that magic mixes of classic uh, tracks and, and new ones. But uh, I, I do agree with uh, Sebastian Vettel and. Um, you know, losing some of these uh, you know, uh, traditional places seems uh, 
seems like a bad move and uh, and hopefully it doesn't uh, come to pass but uh, Kevin let's uh, very briefly now just uh, look ahead to, to the race uh, this weekend at the Hungaro ring just outside of uh, Budapest uh, for the uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix which uh, I've heard uh, described a couple of times as being a track similar to Monaco, but being out in the country rather than in the middle of the city. So this is a 70-lap race. It's uh, a 4.4-kilometer long uh, circuit. It's a 306.6-kilometer race distance. Michael Schumacher uh, holds the lap record there, which he set way back in 2004, and that was a 119.071. Last year... The, the race was won by uh, Lewis Ham- Hamilton. That was the, the famous wingman uh, race uh, because uh, Valtteri Bottas uh, managed uh, to hold up um, Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen for a very long time and uh, allowed Lewis to, to uh, uh, extend his lead, which was obviously unassailable at, uh, at the time. And then uh, that was uh, in, in the aftermath of that. That's when Total Wolf uh, said that uh, that Bottas was the, the ideal wingman for, for Lewis Hamilton. I mean, he did a very good job uh, playing a supporting role that day, although I'm sure he didn't uh, appreciate the comments uh, that Toto made. So last year, like I said, Lewis Hamilton won it. Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen finished second and third for Ferrari. Danny Ricardo finished fourth in the, the Red Bull. And Valtteri Bottas finished fifth in uh, the second uh, Mercedes. And then the other cars rounding out the top ten was Pierre Gasly in the Toro Rosso, Kevin Magnussen for Haas, Fernando Alonso in the McLaren in his last year in Formula One, finished eighth. Carlos Sainz in the Renault was ninth. And Rogro, Roman Grosjean, finished 10th in the second half. So it will be interesting uh, to see what happens. And honestly, Kevin, I'm expecting uh, Mercedes uh, to walk away with it. Yeah. I just feel that after <laughs> the... the the, uh, the the horrible weekend they had in Germany, they're going to be pissed. <laughs> they got a big oh, yeah. chip on their shoulder. I was going to come. I was going to say, Marika, after the ecstatic race that we had for the German Grand Prix, yep. just like me coming back from the, my honeymoon, it's back to reality. Back to reality. And, <laughs> and it will be a boring race with Mercedes finishing 1-2 on the starting grid for qualifying and probably at the end of the race, too. Well, and uh, consider the fact that since uh, 2012, uh, Lewis Hamilton has won here four times. He's won there six times uh, throughout his uh, career. Won there last year, obviously, at uh, at the Hungarian Grand Prix. That it really seems like it's all setting up uh, to be a Mercedes weekend. But you never know. It it is. What are those tracks? If you can get out front and can stay out front, you can win that race. Just look at Vettel. He won there two years ago. We had that uh, steering issue and basically led home a long train of uh, of cars, including his teammate and the Mercedes. And it is one of those uh, places that if you can stay out front, you can stay there for a very, very long time. But, uh, Kevin... That's all I got for this week. I think that's a, a good place uh, to, to leave it off. So before we go, just remind everybody again where they can find you online and keep up to, to date uh, with everything that uh, you're doing, not only here on the show, but uh, on Soccer Today and everything else that you're involved in. You can always find uh, every link to my work on my Twitter feed, at Cavalarme. I'm on Facebook. Look for me. You'll find me. I'm easy to find. And also, anywhere you get your podcast, you can find me talking about soccer, on soccer today, like Mark mentioned, and at Cavalarme on Twitter, you'll find a link to uh, literally everything I do. 
outstanding. And of course, you can follow this show on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod. And also, if you want to, to email us, if you have any uh, feedback or comments, or you just want to say hi, you can get us at Scuderia F1 Pod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's a wrap. Enjoy the Hungarian Grand Prix this weekend. And we'll be back to talk to you about that and all the latest news in Formula One very, very soon. Bye for now. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.